He does not up, give up. Mother, father, sister, brother, wife and children, for my sake, is not worthy of me. Name the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, congratulations. This is the Sunday of all saints. And you've heard before the story of this Sunday. It's a wonderful love story. I think it was an Byzantine emperor and empress. So the emperor's wife died. And he loved her very much. And she was a very holy woman. So he wanted to name a church after her. So he went to the patriarch. And the patriarch says, well, you have to wait until she's declared a saint by the church. Then you can build a church in her honor. So he decided... Um, he built a church for all saints, and uh, that would include his wife in his estimation. Beautiful thought, isn't it? That a man can consider his wife a saint. But it's not unusual. Uh, in our church, in our daily readings of the prologue, we read about many, many such couples. There's many, many of them. And uh, they, none of them had an easy life, by the way. And a lot of them were martyrs. So today, Paul, you know, in his writings, he addresses all the saints. He addresses the people in the church as the saints of God, along with the heavenly host. And sometimes we forget um, when this priest is celebrating the divine liturgy at the altar, the angels and saints come and gather around. They are there. And uh, I remember reading the memoirs of a saint. He was, he's, she is a saint. I don't know if he declared him one, but when he was in the gulags in Russia. And uh, he was pretty well dying from starvation. And he had a beautiful dream. And he dreamt of that he was had his vestments and instruments for celebrating the Holy Eucharist. And that he was walking towards the church and he got in the church, and he celebrated the Eucharist. He saw around the altar with him his professors who had deceased before him, uh, family members, um, colleagues, other priests, other deacons and monks, holy married people all around the altar with him. Then he realized that when we celebrate the Holy Eucharist, we do it with the whole church, the celestial church and the earthly church. So the question always is, do we go to heaven or does heaven come to us? And in the Holy Eucharist, in the divine liturgy, heaven comes to us. And if you pay close attention 
to the Eucharistic prayer, the anaphora, especially of Basil, it tells you all of salvation history from generation to generation, how we have celebrated and received the Eucharist, and we are still gathered together in that holy church. As you grow older, and the people you love fall asleep in the Lord, at times at the Eucharist, you think about them. And some of you even have the Eucharist celebrated for them. And be assured that they are very happy and close to you when you celebrate the liturgy with them and join them in that liturgy. So I get many, many... um request for liturgy here at the monastery with the community. And uh, not always those people can be here. They're from all over the United States. But in the Eucharist, in baptism, chrismation, and receiving our Lord in the holy gifts, they are always with us. They're always with us. So don't ever feel lonely or depressed. Speak to them. Talk to the saints. Read their lives. And you will learn that they very much suffered as you do in your life. And they very much prayed as you pray. But especially, they prayed at the Eucharist, the Divine Liturgy. So some years ago, I may have told you the story, I always had a summer school religion for the children, and the ladies would help me with that. And it'd be in, at the end of the uh, week, it'd just be a week long, because that's all we had the resources and energies to do, especially enough parents to help with that. And uh, so we went to an island off the shore in Seattle. I forget, it might have been Vashon, it might have been one of them. And uh, in that island, it was interesting because, I wish I could remember, there was a little wooden Catholic church with beautiful carvings in it and a totem pole that they used to teach the life of Christ to the Indians with here in the Northwest. I couldn't read that totem pole, but the missionaries taught the gospel through this totem pole. They would read it. It's there. They were going to get rid of it, but some seminarians got a hold of it, and they took it out and put it in this church. Wonderful thing that they didn't get rid of it. And in that graveyard, Chief Seattle is buried there. He was a Catholic. And they tell us by oral tradition that he was a mystical Catholic. He was very gifted in prayer. So anyway, we went there and we uh, took the children to see the cemetery to pray, see Chief Seattle's grave, and to um, see the church. And we had had liturgy before. And then the women did this um, exercise on the beach there. There had been one of these houses there that the... Indians used to live in, which put together all like a puzzle, 
no nails or anything. It would be their longhouse or whatever they called it. I think they have another name for it in the Northwest. But anyway, they took a big rope and they laid it on the beach. I mean, really long. And all the children brought their icon of their patron saint. And then the teachers lined them up and they would mention the century and they would know when their saint lived. And so after a while, we had this great big long rope with all the patron saints on it. And as they put that down, one of the teachers had a chalice and she said, and they received the Eucharist too. And he received the Eucharist too. And all this long time, this maybe a couple thousand years these saints represented, there were people going to the Eucharist, receiving the body and blood of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. The one thing that destroyed, in the Reformation destroyed, or they tried to destroy the church, was our Catholic faith in the Blessed Sacrament knowing that Jesus Christ is their body, blood, and soul, and divinity. And if they destroyed that, then they would destroy our, our relationship to the saints. Because our relationship is most lively and most present when we are participating at the Eucharist, singing the prayer, standing and sitting, signing ourselves, but above all, receiving the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This meal that Jesus gave it to us, he revealed its meaning to us gradually. So first at the Last Supper, he told the disciples and apostles, take and eat, take and drink. This is my body and this is my blood. And little by little through the reading of the Gospels, and the teachings of Paul, we learn the very significance of the Eucharist. Paul will tell us, what I receive from the Lord, we hand down to you. It's called paradosis in Greek, to hand down a living tradition. On the night he was betrayed, he said, Tate and eat, this is my body. On the night he said, take and drink, this is my blood. But finally, the great theologian of the church, John the Evangelist, in chapter 6, he tells us, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you do not have life in you. He means the life of the Trinity. And so every liturgy we celebrate, the priest raises the gospel book, and he says, blessed is the kingdom of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. This is our meal with God. The Trinity is present, especially in the holy gifts. It's the body and blood of Christ, but the Father and the Holy Spirit are there. What makes the saint is his participation or her participation in the, in the anaphora, in the Holy Eucharist. So I remember a lot of uh, people, they go to church, but they don't go to the Holy Eucharist. So I remember P. 
Petrus uh, was giving a lecture to the priest, very knowledgeable person, and he says, they ask him about this. What about people, you know, they, they don't receive. They come to the Eucharist, but they don't receive. He says, well, why would you go to the Eucharist if you're not going to receive the body and blood of the Lord? Why would you do that? That's what you're there to do, to participate in the meal with your heavenly Father, God the Father, who is given through the son, to his Son the authority to ordain priests and send the Holy Spirit to perfect the Eucharist. So, you know, in the Eucharist, I say the words of consecration because I'm an apostolic procession from the apostles, and I say the epiclesis, where I call down the Holy Spirit to perfect the Eucharist. And here we are with God in this holy temple. This temple is sanctified. The bishop came, they consecrated the building, they consecrated the altar for that Eucharistic presence. But the most important temple that you come here to build is your heart, to realize that through the reception of the Eucharist, a good confession, which takes away obstacles to the grace of God, you're participating already in the heavenly liturgy. This is the heavenly liturgy on earth, and it will be no different when you go to heaven. You only have the banquet in heaven with the Holy Trinity. Maybe not in the same sacramental form, but it will be there. So today we celebrate the lives of all some thousands, millions of people who are related to us because they receive the body and blood of the Lord. We are not alone. We are a huge procession into the heavenly throne room with God the Father. And there stands our Lord sitting on the throne with the Father, beautiful, gorgeous, our Blessed Mother and the great saints. We talk about the hypostatic union as the two natures in Christ. Actually, not only is he of the hypostatic union, but by our baptism and chrismation and our receiving the body and blood of the Lord, we are too part of his body, and we are of the hypostatic order. There's something holy about you, divine about you. That life that's in God comes upon you through the life of grace, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're celebrating today about the saints. They are the ones who have gone before us suffering, even martyrdom. Remember Jesus said, and every spiritual gift will be given to you, especially martyrdom. And today, as we sit here in our little temple, all over the world, Catholics are dying, being murdered, being slaughtered, being separated from the Eucharist. The worst thing that happened to us recently is this endemic, where they closed the churches. Never, never should they do that. The one thing we do need 
It's we're all going to die is our church, place where God dwells, the place we go to receive the Eucharist. Some of our priests tried very different ways to get the Eucharist to the people, bringing it to them in their cars, celebrating the Eucharist online, having them parked in parking lots and come to the door, but make sure there was no camera there, because they were going to lock us up. Is that not persecution? Is not the priest supposed to risk his life for the salvation of his children, the faithful? Is he not about the business of God making saints? And are you not about the business of God becoming a saint? In my whole lifetime, and I remember some horrible things. I wasn't part of them. I was young. World War II was terrible. All the wars we Americans have had, one after the other, have always been terrible. A lot of people, young people, coming back in coffins, bringing them back. But they're good about bringing them back anyway. Going to a family's house in the middle of the night, the knock on the door, chaplain, an officer, an information officer, a physician. And the family wakes up about early in the morning before it gets into the news. They want them to hear first. They remember we went way out somewhere in godforsaken south in Georgia or someplace, Mississippi, and we're all in full uniform, class A uniform all the ribbons and fancy hats, everything. And they open the door. They know this is not a normal situation. And I, we went and they invited us into the house. We went down and sat down. And I looked around the room and I saw all these beautiful pictures of this young man, their son. It made me sad. We sit down. We didn't have to tell them why we were there. They knew. Their son died in defense of this nation. Especially, they were Catholics because the Catholic priest was there. They knew. The physician was there worrying they might break down. Or somebody have a heart attack or something. And uh, they were worried about us. They want to make us tea or coffee or something, and we allowed that. Of course, we stayed with them a while. On another occasion, being waked up at 2 o'clock in the morning, class A uniform, get it on. The staff car is there to take me out into the woods, you know. I had to walk across the log. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to fall off this log and fall in the creek and ruin my uniform. But I got on the other side and uh, I had the, they told me, bring the oils, bring everything you need. I had it with me, had my stole on. There was a young man there, not in a very good condition either. I knew him. I talked with him. I anointed him to be among the saints.
Then they put me in the car and took me back to tell his mother. His dad was in the military too, but he was away on his mission. That's how our faith teaches us to take care of each other. But if we do not make every effort in our lives to produce saints, to celebrate our presence of God amongst us in the holy gifts, in the liturgy, and if we take our attendance at liturgy as casual or just fulfilling an obligation, we've missed the point. God the Father has sent his Son who died on the cross, shedding his precious blood and the water from his side to sanctify the world, to bring them to heaven. And every time you come into this temple and the priest says the prayers, we are in heaven. And the life we have is not our own, it is the life of Jesus Christ given in us by the Father through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. What a miracle. What a miracle you are. And how lucky you are to be in the communion of the holy saints. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.